Good evening, everybody, everybody who's here and everybody who's online and watching the stream. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you're here this, this night. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, guys. We're, uh, we're in the end of Chapter 11. We're going to do a little bit review of part of Chapter 11. 11 and 12 and 13 are really hard to get through all of it in, in, in one quick session. So... And, and the reason being, <clears throat> these three, excuse me, these three um, chapters will be setting up for a whole different look um, of what goes on in the book of Revelation. Because up to this point, we've seen a lot of the seals, the trumpets, and everything else. And, and the interesting part about chapter 11 is, we know that there's seven trumpets, and he went one through six quickly... And then all of a sudden he stops and he gives us this vision of the two witnesses. And, and the two witnesses that he's referring to in this are, are an interesting part because of the fact that we would, we would expect them to be people, right? Because in, in, as we think about witnesses that, that God uses, we think about his people. But the matter of fact, these two witnesses are two olive trees and two lampstands. And so remember, the lampstands, we remember those from what? The first three chapters of Revelation where each church had a lampstand. And it was the church's job to let that, make that lampstand light the city and, and fill it out and, and make it work. And then the two witnesses turned out to be two olive trees. And why only two churches and two olive trees. Well, you need to keep those lamps lit. What do you need? We need oil. And the oil they used of the day was the olive oil. And so that's why it was that they would stay ever burning bright. And if there was only two lampstands representing the churches, the churches that started out, we had seven. But remember, we talked about the fact there was only two of them who remained faithful. You know, we went through that whole list last week. So if you missed last week's stream, you can go back and look and see how all that worked out. But here's the amazing part about this. Between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. So, so we're actually going to start on verse 15. But before we get to that seventh trumpet, you had 11, chapter 11, verses 1 through 14 that were at this interlude. Um, this part in between that talked about the two witnesses. So we're going to talk a little bit about the witnesses before we get to the final woe of the seven trumpets. And, and in this, it, it took a little bit of, of research on it. So I'll, I'll give you the quick version. So I, I could have given you homework last week, but I got in trouble for that one time. So I thought I better not do that again because otherwise somebody might take away my chocolate chip cookies. Anyways, we found out that in chapter 11, the church's role... Um, the reason for the two witnesses was because God is trying to tell us something. There's a role that the church must have. And these two witnesses, they, they gave gl glory to God of heaven when they died. Remember, they got killed then because the one beast that got, came out was told, you can go ahead and take their lives. They were dead for, what, three and a half days? And bam, then all of a sudden God blew breath into them. Whew, they woke up, wiped the dust off of themselves, and God said, come up here, and they went to heaven. But why two witnesses between the sixth and seventh trumpet? Somebody was asking me this this week. So let's talk a little bit about witnesses. And see, we know 
um, we know that it, when you talk about witnesses, it's the language of a courtroom, right? So if you're an attorney, you know what a witness is. A witness is the one, someone who implies that they're trying to help, and there's someone's on trial, and they're the witness to it, right? So, and we know that they are, they're not um, on trial. The witnesses themselves are not on trial, because then they would be the defendants. See, God calls us as the witnesses, as the church, the witnesses. He's talking about being the faithful witnesses. And he talks about those who, who are, are there to witness, to give testimony, to give things. See, we as Christians in the church today, that's, that's what God wants our job to be. He basically is looking for those who can stay faithful in it. Because we know for a fact that with, when witnesses are called to give testimony, the big deal is is that they stay faithful in giving that witness. So then if we're looking at a trial, if there is a trial, who is on trial? It's not us. It's not the church. Could be the bad guys, you know, when you start listing all the bad guys. But who's really on trial here is Jesus. You see, because remember, you have the, the dark forces of 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 Satan, and then you have the angelic host of the Lord God himself. And so we, as we look at these two entities, we know that there's a battle going on. Somebody's going to go to trial for starting, killing, th that kind of thing. So why would Jesus be on, on trial? There's a, well, I can think of lots of reasons, but the reason he's on trial is because he's, he's subverting the status quo. He's breaking it. He's breaking the status quo and he's making it so he's claiming to be able to repair broken humanity. He's claiming to be able to heal broken lives. He's claiming to give salvation to anybody who calls on his name. They don't even have to pay for it. Though I can't tell you how many times the world is trying to understand. People say it's coming to Jesus is too hard. And he said, well... So if somebody opens a Snickers bar in front of you, like my brother for my brother Ken Kunkel. So when you open a Snickers bar, Ken has no problem saying thank you, yes please, and takes it. He has no problem doing that. Sorry, brother, I had to do that right now. It just came out. I don't even know why that story came out, but it did. And, and the other side of this coin then is, what's hard about receiving Jesus when all you have to do is say yes? You don't buy your way in. You can't work your way in. That's going to start a whole nother bunch of questions, let me tell you right now. That came out too quick, Randy. I don't know what happened there, brother. So we're going to make sure that we find out how it is that Jesus is on trial for claiming to be the center of all things, the power, being over the power of evil and sin and death. The issue is Jesus, not the church. Not me, not you. It's him. See, we didn't make the claims. I can't make the claims Jesus did. You know, behold, I am come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. I can't give that. I wish I could. You know, sometimes I wish I could do the judgment part, but God really made sure I didn't get to do that because that would be bad too. But when we come to him and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's the other thing. When he told the, the people of the Sanhedrin and everything, well, I, you know, I can forgive sins. Wait, what? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. I wonder if he had looked at him ever and just went, duh. Because Jesus is God. We, we all know this. And so I'm trying to think to myself, didn't dawn on anybody why he was doing that? I mean, these are supposed to be really educated men of the day, and it just didn't dawn on them. It's amazing to me. 
So the nature of the witness has to do with what we wear. Isn't that interesting? Because remember, these two witnesses in here, what were they wearing? They were wearing sackcloth. Remember, we talked about sackcloth was the, the what prophets wore and what people in repentance wore and all that. So if we were to wear that, we would be claiming to be a prophet and, and everything like that. But instead, we wear everything of today in our society, wherever you live. Is it really about the outside clothes that you wear? Because remember, in all of the judgment of all the seals and the trumpets and everything going on, there was only one group of people that all of those dangerous things could not trust. As tough, mean, bad, ugly, and strong as they were, they could not touch all of those who had the seal of God on their forehead. See, this is what we wear. People know that you're a Christian by your love, by your compassion, by some of the things that you do. We talked a lot about in our last couple of weeks about lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism to me is the strongest evangelism you can teach because it means be yourself. Love people, love others, love one another. And trust me, the love one another part, that's not always easy. I'm just saying. You know, y'all know, y'all can sit here and try to disagree with me, but just as I said that, every one of you just got a picture of somebody in your head because you know good and well there's people that make it very difficult to love. And Jesus calls on us to do that anyways. And when we do start to love and show that kindness to those people, it's amazing what God does through us to them and for them and with them. And then we get convicted because all of a sudden they're changing. I mean, it's much like when Jonah, he went came out of the whale, went in, said, repent, and kind of scared me too, I would. They all repented, got saved, and Jonah got mad, went up and sat under a tree and soaked like a little baby boy. It's amazing to me how we pray and pray and pray and pray, and then God answers the prayer, and we're looking up and going, wait a minute, God, they don't deserve that grace. And then I walk in front of a mirror and go, yeah, neither does he either. Okay, I get it. When we start thinking about being a witness... Being a witness does not ever mean you have to be perfect. Please understand that. You never have to be perfect to be the witness. And judgment may be the final result of those who hear you, hear the witness do, that say, you know, that do not repent. But the spirit of prophetic witness is not a judgmental spirit. To be a witness of love and kindness and compassion to try to do that without judgment sometimes can be very difficult, but yet that's what these witnesses who were killed for what they did were performing. That's what they were doing. And according to Revelation 11, we witnessed, you know, we witnessed clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the point of John's message. It's, and then he begins to, to reference experiences, these two witnesses had a couple of special powers in themselves. Remember, one of them could, could uh, stop the rain, make the earth dry. We talked about who else did that for three and a half years at one point in his life, Elijah, right? And one of the other witnesses, he said, could turn the rivers into blood, and that would be Moses, very good, from the, the plagues to make Pharaoh let his people go. So people want to know if there were olive trees walking around. And I say, remember, this book is full of symbols. 
But if you want to put a face or a name to those two witnesses, God gave you the clue. He gave you the only, he could have picked a lot of other instances to bring up the right witnesses that he wanted to take a picture of. But when he said one of them could stop the rain, you automatically think of Elijah. And one of them turned the rivers to blood. And the biggest one of that was Moses. So to me, this is to Bill, and, and there's lots of, oh my goodness, there's lots of discussion on this, oh my goodness me. You'll always find lots of discussion on the Bible. They discuss it more than anything else, even for the ones that they talk about how much they don't believe in it, they sure talk a lot about it. But they, as we think about these two, Moses and Elijah, so then we think about these men of God who gave themselves up for everything that God did. They weren't perfect, neither one of them. But they still were known as witnesses of God Almighty. We can't assume that to be a good witness for Jesus that we have to be holy. We have to be perfect. Being perfect, being perfect in God's sight and being saved are, are two different things because the fact is that none of us are perfect. Even after we get saved, we're not perfect. But we know how to fall on our knees and ask for forgiveness. Amen? Amen? That's right. So we pray that God would pour out all of his spirit on all of mankind. You know, and, and one of the other things that when Jesus, um, there's a scripture in Acts. The first chapter of Acts. Oh, in the first chapter of Acts, when Jesus, just before he ascends, remember, after every, his, his 40 days and everything are, are done, he says, he says to, to the people, the disciples and everybody, he says, but, but listen, I'm going to leave, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. Notice how when he says that, he always starts, even when he did it in Matthew 28, he started with, Jerusalem, where they all lived. He was telling you, if you want to start, you don't have to go to all the corners of the earth. Tell you what, why don't you start working on just witnessing in your neighborhood, to your family, to your neighbors and friends, and to the guy across the street who's always complaining about your lawn and everything else. You know, what we want to do is we want, we want, to, we want to be a witness. We want, to, we want to talk to them. And he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit. So that's where we get our power from. Let no one, please, ever believe that he has the power to be the witness and the perfect example in Jesus' name because the pride goeth before the fall thing and all that some from Corinthians. And then it gets nasty when you try to, you know, I mean, I've told a few people the story of I had a good friend I was leading worship with and we were in a big venue and playing for a lot of people and, and I was feeling pretty tough and puffed up. I said, wow, look at me. I'm on a big stage in front of all these people going to play my guitar. I walked out. I wasn't looking where I was going. Hit a big, giant electrical cord. And just as we're going out on stage in front of all those people, Bill went flying flat out, wound up flat on his stomach. Guitar was broken, spread out all over the stage. And there he was. And I mean, it's not like they all didn't see it. There's like six million spotlights on us. It stages all lit up and everything else. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty pretty cool. And, you know, and there it goes. And he looked down at me, he says, you know, we just talked about the fact that you either come out humble or God will humble you. I said, yeah, no, 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 no. thanks, brother, I appreciate it, love you. 
That's what can happen when we take our message the wrong way. When we take our message from a, a spirit of love, compassion, from hurt, somebody who's hurting, someone who needs our help, someone who needs to just hear somebody come alongside them, put an arm around them, say, hey, I can't imagine how much you hurt. I went through something similar, but I can't even imagine the pain you're feeling. But I can tell you that I'm going to pray with you and that you're not alone. That's the proper way to witness to somebody who's in pain. We talked today to a couple of ladies that run clinics for uh, young ladies or, or women who've experienced abortions and now are just wishing they hadn't done it. We talked about the fact that some of these people that they had talked to and stuff were, were just being shamed and, and all kinds of things, and they witness, and, and this couple that's in our church witness to them all the time, and they do an amazing work. It's amazing to see how that works. But to me, that is where, that's where we get down to what the witnesses here on this day were doing. The witnesses on this day were not just there to pronounce judgment. They were there to tell them, guess what? There's a day of Jesus coming. There's a day of God coming. God has a redemption for you that's outstanding and going to be bigger than anything you can see or find. And so then the beast comes along and he kills the two witnesses. And for three and a half days, their bodies were there on the street. And if anybody knows anything about Jewish culture, that's a big no-no. The first thing you're supposed to do is when somebody dies is you, you get them out of the way and, and bury them. But these were laying in the street for three days. And people ask me, why is that? <laughs> so that they would all gather around and all of a sudden a breath, a warm wind comes from the north. God breathes life back into them and they stand up and walk away and then a voice says, come up here and they're gone. I'm thinking that was a little bit of a testimony. I think that was pretty pointed lesson in the fact, in the fact that all of a sudden these people, oh, they're dead. How come they're not starting to smell and they're not, you know, it's not, they're not wasting away. And somebody says, I don't know. Ooh, that was a strong wind. Oh, wait. Hey. I thought you so-and-so told me they were dead. They weren't dead. They were just sleeping. What's wrong with you guys? And then the, God says, come up here, and away they go. That was probably a testimony that was stronger than anything those two witnesses could. Wouldn't you agree? And, and so my point is just this. Many times in our witnessing, we don't get it that it didn't take effect right away. We don't get it that the message wasn't heard, taken, forgiven. Somebody came to you and said, oh, please, help me become saved. You know, sometimes it's a little seed that we lay out to give people hope. And once we give them the hope and it comes out there and they see that, all of a sudden, just like these two witnesses, God breathes life into them and says, here, come on with us. And here we go. See, because there's only... Two people in the Bible that went up without dying, one being Elijah and the other one being a man named Enoch in the, in the fifth chapter of Genesis. I mean, Enoch didn't even get to live to be, I mean, he only lived like 300 years old or something. He didn't get to live, live as long as his grandson, Methuselah. But he 
lived in such a manner that God said, okay, you know, your, your world is done, and in the next few years, um, there's going to be a big rain, and Noah has to build a boat, and I need you to not be there anymore, so you're going to come up here with me now. That's in the sixth chapter of Genesis, if anybody's looking for where that is, five and six. So in Revelation 11, we start to see that what happens when you become a witness for the Lord. It isn't about what you wear, what you do. It's more about who you are. And when it talks about the fact that these witnesses were tormented and then killed, then it just basically reminds us that it, it simply reminds us that our God is faithful. Yeah, they went through some nastiness there at the end. And then if they get killed during their prophetic work, God says, it's okay, just go to sleep for a minute. And then you can come up here. And to this day, what we see in, in Acts, in the book of Acts, in the sixth chapter where Stephen is. Remember Stephen, he's sitting there and he's, he's, he's trying to witness to the people. And he says, you stiff-necked people, why aren't you listening to the promise of God himself? And they get mad at him. They start stoning him and they throw big rocks at him and kill him. And he looks up into heaven and he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he says, look, I see heaven opened up to me. Now, while he says that phrase, he's being pelted with some pretty big rocks. And he doesn't feel it. He doesn't know anything about it. Why? Because God relieved him from the pain of it and just says, well done, my good and faithful servant, step in. And he did. And that's where Stephen wound up, and he, and he did that. And if you want to know about anything else that goes on in there, and you want to read about how we are watched and heard and seen and stuff while we're here on this earth, and all of those who've gone before us, you want to read chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. It starts out, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, chapter 11 gives you the list of them, and then chapter 12 starts out, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Chapter 11 is all about all the witnesses that got on before us. It's an amazing thing to watch and see how faithful God is when we're facing those kind of moments. And that's what chapter 11 is trying to, this little interlude of, of verses 1 through 14 in chapter 11, when it's talking about that this is the proper interlude before the seventh trumpet. Because like I told you last week, the seventh trumpet is different than all the other trumpets. And yet, it is still called a woe. And to all of the Christians who read this, they're going, how is that a woe? So let's, let's go to the 15th verse in Revelation 11. And I'm going to read it for you. I am reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. So it says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that amazing? Now that we've read that, let's go back just a little bit and read verse 14. Because you got, you got these people saying, the Lord is great forever and he shall reign forever and ever. Verse 14 in this same chapter says, the second woe has passed, talking about the witnesses, the third woe is soon to come. So, and then we read, he blew his trumpet, and the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Any musicians here that know that Handel's Messiah, now you know where he got the text from. Because then after that, it says, 
And the 24 elders who sat on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to the Lord God Almighty who is and was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. We'll get to back to that verse in just a second. The nations raged. This thing keeps going off. It's driving me crazy. Um, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time of the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. We're going to stop there for just a second, because uh, the last verse takes on a whole, it's the start of chapter 12. But we're reading this, and it says, the king of the world in verse 15, and he shall reign for and ever, and the 24 elders fell down, and they were worshiping, following down on their faces and worshiped God. And then in 17, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. This is a woe. Who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And this is a woe? 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So verse 18, you look at it and you go, now I know who the woe is for. Because you see, as we looked at the beginning of it, when it was all about he's the reign forever and ever, we who have that seal on our forehead, who are the part of those that it describes right here, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the sword, the prophets and the saints, that's us. So to us, it's a great moment, and it is not a woe. So who will it be a woe for? Remember the phrase in this book? For those who dwell on the earth. Because if you remember back in, in chapter, at the end of chapter 10, it says, I mean chapter 9, when he says, and those who did not repent, it actually says that there was, um, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor their murders, sorceries, and everything. Remember, it says that there. So with all of the stuff, all of the, the tribulation, the trials, the, the power of the sword, and all of the things that were happening... God was making a point here to say, look, this whole scenario is being held out for one reason and one reason only. We need those who do not get killed by the plagues and the pestilence and everything. We want them to come back and repent and come back to the Lord Jesus, to call upon his name, make him Lord and Savior. There's, it's nothing hard about it. It is not a difficult decision, like I talked about at the beginning of tonight. Saying yes is not that hard. It's real hard to say yes to a Snickers bar, a donut, and coffee. That's about as hard as it is. If when you think about saying yes to Jesus, everybody thinks about what they're going to give up. But I would like to suggest that if you really want to say yes to Jesus and understand him, you will be more amazed about what you will receive than what you had to give up. Is it a perfect, easy life all the time? Absolutely not. 
you're looking at a guy with scars and bullet holes and everything else in his body. Trust me, this body it has not been, it's not a, a time of just no tribulation for you. But the amazing part about going through those tribulations, when you have Jesus, he lets you know he's right there. And you feel his presence in amazing ways. You feel his presence so strong and amazing that sometimes even in your pain, you're crying and your family says, are you okay, are you okay? And it's like, I am so grateful that Jesus is with me. My children look at me like I'm crazy, but that's okay. Then they say, oh, we get it. Dad's talking to Jesus again. The more times we talk to Jesus in our worst moments, the more times we will realize our worst moments are not so worst. Is that a phrase? Can I say that? I don't know if that's a real phrase. Some guy with a master's degree talking like that. My professor's right now be freaking out, but that's okay. He shall reign forever and ever. There's no end to his reign. He's not ever going to stop. He's... It's hard for us who are on this. If we, if we were to take a timeline, and let's say we just took a timeline, a piece of string, and we took it from that wall to that wall, and we made it string straight across, and that would be the timeline for, let's say, eternity. That means if you went all the way to the first side where the timeline starts and went about this far, that's all the beginning of time for humanity to be in existence and for you and your, your life is even going to be a smaller little tiny thousandth of an inch at the first beginning of the timeline. But if the timeline is going from there to there to show eternity, that means that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, all of eternity. That means that's how long we get to live. To me, that's everything. I think about that timeline because he's gonna, he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat in their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, remember who the 24 elders are. 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. And I love it because my brother Rick comes up, Rick Sundell comes up to me and he says, Bill, okay, so we have a problem. I said, what is that? And he says, sorry, Rick, I'm using you as an example. And he said, he said, Bill, we have a problem. How can there be 12 apostles? If John is the one sitting up here writing, isn't there 11? I said, oh, but wasn't Paul also called an apostle because he was called out by Jesus himself, which makes him an apostle? There's your 12th apostle. So actually there was 13. One of them was later than the others, but there was 13. And when we look at these, what these, these, these 24 elders were doing as they sat on their thrones before God, these are people that that all of us on this earth would consider holy, would consider strong in God's faith, would consider strong in, in who they are in God's family. And yet, as soon as the trumpet sounded and the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, they fell on their face before him and began to worship. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Where have we heard that before? Remember back in verse 10 when he says that the trumpet calls down the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. That is in chapter 10, and that would be... Um, I saw him standing... 
Yeah. Because he says in the middle of chapter 10 that when he talks about that, he's saying, look, the trumpet called to be sounded in verse 7, 10 verse 7, but in the days of the trumpet will be sounded by the seventh angel. The mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And now we're getting to hear that seventh trumpet and it's talking all about the nations raged, but your wrath came. The nations raged. There's always going to be an enemy of God's message as long as we are on this earth before the great white throne judgment. There will always be an enemy on this earth because when you start to call out people and you start to talk about God's ho Jesus's holiness, his love, his compassion, and those who can't believe it or accept it or want it, because it says some of them did not repent of their sins, sorceries, murders, and thefts. And that's in chapter 10, in case you're wondering where that is. And when we get to that point, we have to realize and understand that whenever God's message goes out, there will be opposition. How many of us have tried to witness and, and care for those people in our own families who've just told us, you need to just shut up about Jesus. I don't want to hear it. You know, it's there. It's real. I mean, it happens in my own family. And then in verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. Everybody's thinking that's referring to dead bodies in the ground. Not necessarily. Could be. I tried to find the proper notation for that, but it also means it has two connotations here in this phrasing in the original language because I looked that up yesterday to understand if it just meant the dead bodies in the ground, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It also means those who are spiritually inept and dead of the Spirit of God. That's what I find amazing is that right in that verse, he says, for the time and for those who are dead to be judged. So that means some of these people to be judged are still going to be walking around. Um, I'm going to ask somebody to turn on the house lights because it's beginning to get a little dark in here and people might be able to find, um, be able to read because I see everybody squinting to looking down trying to read their Bibles and stuff. So if we could get the house lights on, that'd be great. When he talks about the dead to be judged, he's talking about those who are spiritually dead. Those who, who have a darkness inside there, the hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. It's those who are spiritually dead that he is referring to. And so, when it says in 18, the nation's rage, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. He's, and for rewarding your servants. The first part of this verse is about those who are going to be judged and the second part of the verse is cool because it says, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. It's as if God is telling John, I want you to tell this group of people this part of the message, but I need you to tell this group of people this part of the message. So you get to decide in verse 18 which part of the message applies to you. See, because verse 18 is pretty split almost right in half. The, dead, the time for the dead to be judged, the wrath has come, the bottom half. Rewarding your servants, those who fear your name, small and great. So you get judgment and wrath 
or you get the rewarding of the Spirit of God to be with you in that one simple single, that one simple single message. You get to have that. That's how God is. So when you're looking at um, the reasons why, and I was asked this on, I think it was Monday night, I was asked, I said, you know, Bill, he said to me, a friend of mine, he says, Bill, why is it that God is going through all of this elaborate stuff with the seals, the scrolls, the trumpets, the, roll, the woes of the bowls, all of that stuff, God is going through that. Why didn't God just say, okay, you got 24 hours to make this decision, and that's it, come on. I said, well, yeah. And John, my friend looks at me, and he says, would you be that way? I said, <laughs> If it was me, Revelation would be two chapters. Jesus came, gave the message, and the white throne judgment's here. Boom, let's go. We're done. That's why God has me on this table learning all the time from him. And yeah, I don't get to do everything I want to do. Because I have friends and family who as many times as they have come to my speaking or been to where I'm leading worship and music or something give my testimonies they all come and yet they for a lot of years i'm 65 years old people they've done it a lot of times there's a lot of times my family cannot say they haven't heard the message and yet they still have not repented and come to him so here's what i would like for you to do and, and if you got a note there with your things i would just want to give you two quick notes I need you to ask yourself two questions, okay? When it talks about, when he talks about the fact that there's, there's those that we, from the two witnesses, that the, those we need to witness to, okay? Who needs to hear the saving message of Jesus? That I know. That I know. The people, as our pastor puts it, in your sphere of influence. If you want to make a list of those people, you make that list and you look down the list, you want to know, okay, who needs to hear this? Who is it that I do not want them to face these woes and some of these things that are going on? With the scorpions and all of the stuff going on in chapters 9, 10, and 11. I mean, you, there's things we don't want them to go through. Who is it that needs to hear the saving message of Jesus? And don't get mad at the messenger, for those of you that aren't going to like the second question. How am I going to do this? I didn't say, should I do this? That's not the question. How am I going to do this? How am I going to commit to God to say, God, I'm going to do this however you do this? That doesn't mean you have to go beat him over the head with a giant King James Bible or something. Okay, that's not necessary. But how am I going to let them see the light of Christ, the seal on my forehead, in the most loving and kind way to be able to tell them that I just want them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus? And for those that say to you, I don't need to be saved. And you say, oh, oh, I see. So you have all of eternity all figured out for you. And they may give you all kinds of stories about what they think eternity is. 
Things like, yeah, I know I'm going to go to hell, but I'm going to go party with my friends. <laughs> when we get into the 15th and 16th chapters, you're going to find out what the definition of hell is. There's not going to be any friends down there. I'm trying not to give away secrets right now. Because I want people to know and hear the love of the Lord in everything we say and do. Do I all the time? No. I mess up like everybody else. Like many of my friends who are praying for me for, you know, Bill's worst moments are when he's driving in his car. It's horrible. I have the hardest time driving in my car because people are not as um, alert as I would like them to be. How is it? Is that pretty good? Did you like how I did that, Ray? You like that? That was good? Because we all fall short of the glory of God. He told us that. The difference is that we get to come to a point where we get to be able to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Help me to get stronger next time. And I want to learn from those mistakes. I want to keep going. I want my friends and family to know you. I don't want them to know you the good stuff. I want them to know how strong you are. And even when it's the hardest in my life, when I feel your presence and I know that you're the one helping me get back up on my feet, I want to be able to tell people about that. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't remember. And when I do, I get all excited and I talk real fast and my family couldn't understand why I'm talking so fast. There's a message in me that I wish to get out and tell people. In my excitement to do so, sometimes I begin to talk like I'm, you know, they can understand me faster than I can speak. And sometimes that doesn't happen. So when we look at these messages all the way up through, through verse 18, from 15 to 18, this is all about two things and two things only. Be my witnesses. Yes, judgment may be heard and, and the, the power of, of the dead to be judged may be the only thing they hear. But the reason you're sharing that part is so that they're part of the second half when it says rewarding for your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great. That's the part we want them to become a part of. So those two questions. Who do I know that needs to become part of the last part of verse 18? Who do I know that is in the first part of 18 and they've claimed it themselves? Not that I'm judging, but they, they have acknowledged that. And how do I get them to see that I really love for them to be the second part of verse 18? Because that's where it counts. And I'm going to share verse in this last few minutes. I'm going to share just verse 19. Because to me, verse 19 goes a whole lot with where we're going to go next week. And next week is the biggie. Next week is the woman and the dragon and we get to understand the battle that took place in heaven that made Lucifer, Lucifer. Made Lucifer Satan, I should say. Verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Whoa. There were flashes of lightning rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. 
I don't know how many <laughs> of, your, of you go to the place where my mind does when I see the words Ark of the Covenant. I'm a small portion of an Indiana Jones fan. Okay, maybe a big portion. But that scene where, where the Germans are trying to, to overtake him and then all of a sudden he keeps trying to tell them, don't open this. They have captured the Ark of the Covenant. They found it. And by the way, no, it is not in a warehouse in Washington, D.C., guys. The, the Ark is not there. Don't think you can go there and find the Ark of the Covenant. It's not there. But, but that made really good movie script. So they could make two more, three more Indiana Jones movies. But here's the thing. When the, when the Ark of Covenant was seen, the temple, God's temple in heaven was opened. Well, that's another thing. The, the temple in heaven was opened. So once again, John is standing. Remember, he's still standing on the island of Patmos. And then all of a sudden, another veil gets opened. A door, a scene gets opened. And this one is to the veil of the temple. Now, if you were to look at back, look later at the back at your maps, you'll see the temple in, in, in the Old Testament days. And there was in the very central of, center of the temple, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And it was covered by a curtain. It was actually a, 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 a veil. They called it a veil, but it was, it was actually a 14-foot veil. So it would be like a giant curtain dust. And it was heavy and big, and it, you know, and it did that. And yet, John, it says here, God's temple in heaven was open, and the ark... Well, that means that that whole veil thing that got split, remember when Jesus died, and did it tear from the top down or the bottom up? That's important. I asked a question. Thank you. Okay, I was hoping somebody knew. I, you know, we were going that way. But, but then it says, it was seen within his temple. Well, the only place the Ark of the Covenant was kept when it was there was behind in the Holy of Holies because it was the place where God's presence was. And when they would be traveling around in the, in the 40 years that they traveled through Egypt and stuff and they were, they were walking around trying to find a place to, to, to leave, they, the, wherever the Ark of the Covenant was put, they would put a big tin over it and call it God's temple. And then as they opened it, God would, a big beam of light and His holiness, and God would, would join them there. And that's where they would see the presence of the Lord. And now you have John standing on the island of Patmos. It's 96 AD. And they open the tent. There's the Ark of the Covenant. See, I don't know why Indiana Jones just didn't read this and say, okay, now I know where the Ark of the Covenant is. I don't need to go look. Get myself shot at. He says, here we go. The Ark of the Covenant is seen. And then, and I truly believe that the, the producers and writers for the movie took this last line and that's the sound effects and the visual effects they gave to the Ark of the Covenant when they opened it. Because you did see flashes of lightning in it, rumblings, peals of thunder. There was an earthquake around them. I mean, this is almost from the movie. And I'm thinking, you guys didn't write that. You hope, you know, God wrote that way before you did. But it describes this part imperfect. And all of a sudden, you this. And then the first verse and it says of chapter 12 and we're going to stop here because otherwise I'm going to get too excited and want to keep going. Great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with a moon under her feet and on her head and a crown of 12 stars. 
She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains of agony of giving birth. So either those two verses go up there with chapter 11 or chapter or verse number 19 in chapter 11 goes down with, verse, with chapter 12. Because all that goes together right there. That's, that's one seed. And next week we're going to start with that, nine, that 19th verse. But where I'm going to finish is this. The whole book of Revelation, the reason it's called the Apocalypse, that's what the Apocalypse is. We've talked about it before. The opening of a curtain, the unveiling, the, the, you get to see the things. And then in the first chapter of Revelation, John says, you know, I looked and all of a sudden God opened a door into heaven and I got to see in it. There is another person that I believe saw something like this very much so was, uh, was Isaiah in the sixth chapter. You can look that up and see too as well. But if we don't begin to understand the message of the symbolism, the words, the stories, and the truth of this book, of the Bible, we're very much not going to be able to understand how much God cares for us. Because this book of Revelation is not just a book of, of a lot of really cool stories and, and, and pictures and things like that. The reason for these pictures and all of this symbolism and all of the things in here is for one reason and one reason only. Repentance. God wants those who fell away and are not part of his family to become part of his family. Not one place does it say, yeah, you're going to accept those people who think and act and believe just like you do. When Jesus says, love one another, that's it. It's a simple phrase. Three words, love one another. By this they will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, <laughs> I'm about to get in trouble. I, it does not ever, I'm going to say it anyways, because I really feel strongly to say this. Nowhere does it say, love one another. No, love those who believe that you do. Love those who look like you. Love those who are in the same financial bracket as you are, and then you'll know my, you're my disciples. Love those who believe the same way you do on the political platforms. Love those... who believe the same way you do about the vaccines, the masks, the separations, the marches. That's not what it says anywhere in this book. There is not one human being walking on this earth who will ever have the right to judge. Yeah, I said it. You're probably going to hear about that one too, but there isn't. I've studied this book a little bit, and I can promise you that I can't find a place where it says we get to judge anybody. But what it talks about is the fact that once you love one another, you let God do the calling. I'm not responsible for other souls. I'm not responsible for who believes and who doesn't believe or anything else. My job is to share this message. Because I can't take anybody into heaven with me. That's a personal decision. And I'm hoping and praying that if you get nothing else out of the rest of the Wednesday nights that we have together, that you always will hear this, that I love and care about everyone who's doing, who's part of this more than you all know. 
And yeah, I give up a lot of time to study and stuff, and I'm excited to share it, and I love sharing this word, and I love sharing this book. But it still is all about those who are trying to figure out if they want to believe in Jesus. That's really what this is about. And all I'm giving you is the messages that are in this, as well as I can understand them. Do I know everything perfectly? Absolutely not. Don't ever think that. You feel free to ask me questions. If you're not uh, with us in here and you want to ask me questions, you can go to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and ask the questions. I get them every week. I get some. It's fun. I love getting them. Actually, Jeannie gets them first and then I get them. That's how it really works. But I love getting the questions. There's no question that you cannot ask me about this, you know. Am I going to tell you how come my hair is still gray and stuff and talk about my daughters? No, I got in trouble for that. But I will tell you about Jesus. If you want to know what the book says, that's one thing. But I will never come at you with judgment. That's not my job. doesn't matter of your lifestyle, what you believe, when you believe, where you believe, how you believe, and in whatever political part. That's not my job. My job is to let you know how much Jesus truly loves you, that even if you were the only person on this earth, he still would have went to the cross so that he could sacrifice his blood for you to spend eternity with him with that gold seal on your head. That's what it's about. I'm going to close this in prayer. And after that, we'll shut off the stream, but I want to just let people watching know this, that if you have questions, if you want to talk, Pastor at LighthouseCommunity.com, leave me a note, call me, tell me to call you, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We love you all dearly. We're so grateful you're joining us. And I love that each week more and more people are beginning to watch. So please continue to join us. Um, we had an incredible Easter Sunday. And if you're ever here in this area on Sundays and you want to come and spend the day with us, we start our services at 10 a.m. every Sunday. God bless you all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is the most powerful weapon that we could carry in our minds and in our hearts. We thank you that your Holy Spirit will cover us in all the ways that you say he will in this book. We thank you for your son Jesus who came to let us know that I didn't come to save the, the well, I came to save the sick. So, Father, I pray right now for the, ho the homes that are watching that need to have your healing power. May the great physician reach into those homes and touch them with healing power and make them well. For those who are doubting, may they get clarity of mind. For those who are, are just wondering if they should go out of the house, stay in the house, go up, go away. Father, let them know there's no judgment here. They can do whatever they want as long as they stay close to you. Help them to read your Bible and understand it. Help them to see your Jesus. Help them to see the Holy Spirit who fills their lives. Father, for all of us who are here, help us to step out and find those who need to know this peaceful message of your love. Show us whom needs to see the message more than anyone else. And then give us the strength and give us the opportunity to do so, God. Protect us as we travel this week, 
all of the families that are represented, and I don't know all of the prayer requests who are here tonight, but would you take each one of those prayer requests, hold it close to your heart, and in your will answer them the way that you would see how it should be. And Father, we love you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor and the praise for allowing us to be in this country to be able to share this word and hear your words, Father. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless.